This podcast series is based on a book called Beyond Reasonable Greed, Why Sustainable Business is a Much Better Idea by Wayne Visser and Clem Sumter, read by myself, Wayne Visser. Services, the genius of nature. Products and services will need to shapeshift radically in a sustainable world. It will no longer be acceptable or successful to follow the lion's approach of producing widgets and flogging them to a market brainwashed by advertising while ignoring the damage they cause along the way. The new generation of elephant products and services will focus on adding value over their entire life cycle. In so doing, they will incorporate design characteristics inspired by the genius of nature. In fact, as you will see later on in this section, many products will become obsolete as they are replaced by least benefits instead. The life cycle approach is one of the rules of the game in an elephant economy. Under this approach, companies are accountable for their products and services from cradle to grave. There are various manifestations of this new philosophy, including life cycle assessment, eco-efficiency, supply chain integrity, and take-back schemes. Life cycle assessment is an important tool that can assist companies to quantify the net impacts of their products and services from raw material sourcing through to final disposal. Although it remains a complex and controversial methodology, standards such as the ISO 14040 standard can serve as useful guidance for the uninitiated. Eco-efficiency is perhaps a less daunting way in which companies can begin to implement life cycle principles. The term was first used by the Basel-based researchers Skultega and Sturm in 1990, but the idea that actions preventing pollution and avoiding waste pay off financially predated this by at least 15 years. For instance, the US-based consumer goods manufacturer 3M initiated its Pollution Prevention Pays, or 3P, program in 1975. In the first year, it achieved more than $800 million in savings from 4,000 3P projects. Dow Chemicals launched a similar initiative called Waste Reduction Always Pays, or RAP. In 1995, Ernst von Weissacker, Amory Lovins, and Hunter Lovins coined the term Factor 4 in a book of the same title. The concept refers to doubling resource efficiency, put another way, halving material intensity, at the same time as halving waste outputs, thereby effectively reducing the environmental impacts by a factor of four. Seen from a business perspective, this creates the capacity to increase production within a fixed constraint of resources and sinks. The authors cited numerous examples of Factor 4 achievements, and now others are even promoting the notion of Factor 10. Natural capitalism is required reading for understanding this exploding new discipline. Another manifestation of life cycle principles is the increasing number of product take-back schemes that are being implemented, either voluntarily or through legislation. As the word suggests, this involves companies taking back their products at the end of their useful life, 
and either reusing, recycling or disposing of them. In the European Union, for example, five manufacturers, including Motorola, Ericsson, Nokia, Alcatel and Panasonic, are jointly implementing voluntary take-back schemes. Rank Xerox is another. In 1995 alone, the company recovered 80,000, or two-thirds, of their photocopiers disposed in Western Europe, with savings on virgin raw materials exceeding £50 million and the avoidance of disposal costs for over 7,000 tonnes of material. One company that has taken the life cycle principles to their natural conclusion is U.S. carpet manufacturer Interface, whose inspiring leader, Ray Anderson, was introduced earlier in this podcast. Central to Anderson's vision of Interface as a restorative company was the concept of the evergreen lease, converting the carpet as a product of material into a product of service. Now known as the Evergreen Service Contracts, the program gives clients the option to lease the services, including functionality, color, design, and aesthetics, of its modular carpet designs, without ever taking ownership or liability for ongoing maintenance and the ultimate removal for reclamation or recycling at the end of the carpet's useful life. Anderson was able to redefine Interface from being a carpet manufacturer into a provider of sustainable floor covering services. Surely this product leasing approach is a glimpse of the future. This leads us on to the emerging discipline of supply chain integrity. While eco-efficiency, take-back schemes and product leasing are mainly aimed at the environmental elements of life cycle accountability, Supply chain integrity auditing begins to address social impacts as well. Companies like The Body Shop and Tradecraft pioneered the idea of checking the ethical practices of their suppliers and actively engaging in fair trade practices. Following their embarrassing episode of being implicated in using sweatshops, even Nike got the message and began to do audits on labor practices in its factories worldwide. In the elephant landscape of the future, scrutiny up and down the supply chain is going to become standard operating procedure. So these are some tools and techniques that will be useful in shape-shifting products and services. However, the biggest shape-shift probably has to do with new methods or models, and it's more to do with inspiration. That is the potential for products and services to be inspired by the genius of nature, Nature is the ultimate benchmark for a service-oriented system. Every ecological process is highly tuned to the needs of its benefactors, and every species is intimately aware of its connectivity and is constantly adapting to the conditions of its environment. Every detail of the universe, from the macrocosmic to the micro-subatomic levels, embodies incredible feats of intelligent design. There are efficiencies in nature that are only dreamed about by today's industrial engineers. Nature offers a multitude of lessons for business and an endless supply of inspirational design features for products and services. Already, today's eco-engineers are making design breakthroughs by studying termite hills and prairie dog burrows for improving air conditioning systems 
sharks and owls for cutting down noise pollution from aeroplanes, wasp nests for more robust urban design and construction, octopuses and butterflies for dynamic camouflage technology, leaves for photosynthetic solar energy cells, and lobsters for more mobile extraterrestrial exploration vehicles. The possibilities are endless. Elephants themselves are a prime example of intelligent design. Their trunks are an inspiration for multifunctionality, serving as hand, nose, mouth, voice, and radar all in one. Their ears can detect infrasound as low as 14 hertz and are a highly effective air conditioning mechanism as well. Their tusks are used for digging, stripping bark, and self-defense. Their feet are padded and cushioned to create unbelievable stealth and agility. And their vast wrinkled skin protects them against the ravages of the sun, rain, snow, and parasites. Importantly, nature-inspired products and services are usually oriented towards the triple bottom line. It goes without saying that in nature, ecological integrity is an inbuilt system condition because every output is an input. Waste equals food. However, social harmony is also inherent in maintaining viable ecosystems as nature relies on symbiotic relationships of mutual interdependence. In addition, Due to the efficiencies that nature has refined over billions of years, its designs are more likely than not to minimize resource consumption and turn waste into byproducts. Once again, we are re-emphasizing the need to search for new images and metaphors to serve as positive visions of the future. It is clear that we need to shapeshift beyond the industrial age which has anyway been a dated symbol for the past four decades. And while most would agree that we are well into the information age, which has the potential to usher in the elephant world of interconnectivity, some are already looking beyond it. American futurist Hazel Henderson is tickling the ivories with a new and catchy tune from the sidelines. She says, the information age is no longer an adequate image of the present, let alone a guide to the future. It still focuses on hardware technologies, mass production, and economic models of efficiency and competition, and is more an extension of industrial ideas and methods than a new stage in human development. Henderson points to a growing realization by humanity of its dependence on nature, and more precisely on light from the sun. Beyond the mushrooming ecological movement and the call for sustainable development, she draws support for her theory from the recent phenomenal growth in leading-edge technologies that do nothing more than attempt to mimic the genius of nature. Examples of these include artificial intelligence technologies, biotechnologies, energy technologies, and light-wave technologies, or phototronics. Reflecting on these developments, Henderson talks about a repatterning of the exploding information age into an emerging age of light. Which metaphor endures in the next 50 years is not so important as the fact that its basic characteristics will reshape the way that companies do business. What is clear to us is that the landscape of our future will be vastly different from the present 
and that the ability to understand the complex web of relationships that are interwoven around and within companies will be crucial to surviving and thriving. This is something that will be impossible to achieve if business clings to its self-centered, drive into the future by looking in the rearview mirror approach. The metamorphosis will necessarily require business to assume a more open, compassionate and intuitive identity. This is what corporate responsibility ultimately means, the ability to respond to the needs of stakeholders, to the limits of the earth, to the impacts of business processes on others, and to the magical potential that is inherent in people and nature.